Breaking down Wisconsin basketball. This is The Swing with Zach Heilprin and Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into The Swing. I'm Zach Heilprin. That's the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Get ready for Wisconsin and Ohio State coming up on Wednesday night down in Columbus. Badgers looking to get to 4-0 in Big Ten play after taking care of uh, Nebraska. Badgers up to 15th in the country, Jesse. I believe it's the highest they've been since they were 14th right about this time last year. Um, so I, I think we we spoke about this last week, maybe when we were talking to Jim, that this was kind of, you know, the way they started last year and the way they started this year, very, very similar. Uh, but it also feels a little bit different for me. I'm, I'm sure it does for you as well. We'll get into all of that. But uh, you had a chance to get some time with the basketball team. You don't always get that opportunity. So you get a chance to get with some, the basketball team last Friday. Obviously, they played on Saturday. But this this offense, and you wrote an article about it up at The Athletic. If you want to check it out, you certainly can. We, we would encourage you to do so, correct? Is that accurate? Of course. Yeah. We'd encourage you to check it out. But I read it this morning. And I had some questions about it, but I want to let you at least introduce the idea behind it, because this offense, as you lay out in the article, is the most efficient one that Greg Gardis has had. And it's one of the most efficient ones in the Ken Palm era. So can you just give us an idea of what the article is about? Yeah, well, that's the jumping off point here is what Wisconsin has done this season is uh, from an offensive standpoint, something we do not usually see out here in Madison. Um, right now, they're averaging 75.8 points per game. And it's funny because if you just saw that number and didn't know anything about Wisconsin basketball, you'd say, what's the big deal? Because that mark ranks 10th in the Big Ten and is tied for 162nd in the country. The thing is, if you're listening to this show, obviously you know plenty about Wisconsin basketball, and this is much different from previous seasons. It's, it's 10 points more than it was last season, but it's the highest per game scoring output for the program in 30 years, like we talked about, I think, last week, since Michael Finley, Richard Griffith, and Tracy Webster helped that 93-94 team break a 47-year NCAA tournament drought for the program under Stu Jackson. So it's not just the fact that they're scoring more. It's the fact they're doing it with uh, an offensive efficiency rating that is about as good as you're going to see. In the Ken Palm era, it goes back to 2000. And Ken Palm does some a lot of advanced metrics. That's really good stuff. There have only been three Badgers teams that have been more efficient offensively. Those were the 2010-2011 team that had John Lord, Jordan Taylor, and the 2013-14 and 2014-15 teams that obviously went to the Final Four. So what's helped to supercharge this offense are a few different things, but it has to start with being able to land A.J. Store after he entered the transfer portal from his freshman season in St. John's. You see what he does. It's explosiveness, it's athleticism on the wing. And then Sharif Chambliss talked about this. They didn't, they haven't always had that. And so when they knew they had a chance to get him, they felt like it could be pretty special. And obviously it has, but there are clearly more reasons than just AJ's store. Yeah. So I thought the the lead into the article was was very fascinating uh, because you, you talk about Chambliss, and I'm not going to give it away the entire thing, but talk about Chambliss sitting on a plane after the latest example of their scoring droughts killing them, which was the the last game last year in the semifinals of the NIT where they went, uh, what was it, the last eight and a half minutes? without Nine scoring? minutes and seven yeah. seconds. Amazing. Yeah, not, yeah. And, and that wasn't even the longest drought last year. But you, you lay out, like, he's on, the, he's on the plane, and he's scrolling through his phone, and he sees that A.J. Storr is 
in the transfer portal and things go on from there. And and he obviously has been the, uh, the biggest difference, but as you mentioned, there are some other things that changed Greg guard, you know, kind of got under the hood with his offense and tinkered with some things. And you kind of explained some of those things, not things that like are brand new to the offense, but just things that are being more emphasized and some of the sets that they're running. Now I went through that and I, again, I did not play basketball at a high level. You did. So uh, the highest level I played, I was like fourth grade. So I, the, the trying to, to read and figure out exactly the differences of what they are is uh, probably a little bit more challenging for me than, than it is for you. But can you maybe a layman's terms, what, what is different about this offense than maybe it has been in the past? Sure. So this to me, and I'm going to nerd out a little bit on the basketball side of things here, was the most fascinating part of, of putting this story together was when I was talking to Greg after practice on Friday he was saying there had been some schematic changes. And when we started talking about it, um, it really started to make a lot of sense. What he's done this year is he's implemented a, an offense called ball screen continuity offense. It's a motion-based system, but the idea is to create advantages through continuous wing and middle ball screens between a guard and the four or five man. And if you watch Wisconsin in any game now, you can see it. But like you mentioned, Zach, Greg said this is something that he had or Wisconsin had in its offense previously, but it wasn't like the go-to part of their offense. And now it is um, for a variety of reasons. First of all, it allows you to keep the ball moving and get into your offense without needing to call a specific play or a set. You just have Tyler Wall or Stephen Crowell or whoever's out there on the floor that's a four or a five man set up an on-ball screen, either near the top of the key or on the wing, and they've got a lot of actions off of that. What's so interesting about this to me is, and Greg talked about this, this kind of started in European basketball, and a lot of the best teams out there do this. And Greg said that he, when he was putting this whole plan together in the offseason, that he leaned on Kirk Penny, who, as Badgers fans know, was an all-Big Ten player here and was hired before this season as a special assistant to Greg. Well, Penny played professionally overseas for 15 seasons and ran a lot of the concepts that Wisconsin is now using. Uh, and this is why it works for a variety of factors. We've seen what Chucky Hepburn can do with the ball. He's got the ball on a string. So when he gets involved in a pick and roll situation, Wisconsin is going to have a lot of success. A lot of those pick and rolls are with Stephen Crowell, who not only is a big dude, but can do a lot of good things out of those screens. And part of in this story I, I picked a couple clips from Wisconsin's latest win against Nebraska that kind of highlighted why this offense can be successful. But the thing about this offense is Greg has implemented a lot of wrinkles off of it. So they're not robots out there. And even if you're a, an opponent that understands what this offense is like to defend, Wisconsin can counter it with a lot of different things. So let's say, let's say Steven sets a screen for Chucky in the left wing. Well, he can do a lot of actions off of that. And one of the ones that I highlighted against Nebraska is it's called a short roll. So Chucky got a double team because both guys came over to defend him and left Steven open. And Steven made a short roll to the top of the key and Chucky found him. And obviously we know Steven's been amazing from three point range. He's made 12 of 18 threes and, and he made the three. Um, there's other situations where you can set a screen on the wing and everybody else has cleared out on that side. And so you set the screen and you roll going to the basket it's called an, an empty side situation. So there's nobody there. You can have an easy layup. Um, so, you know, you can have guards roll through. You can have your second big man go under the basket. And 
it has just been really effective for this particular group. And, and you got to give Greg a lot of credit for figuring out how to tailor a system to the skill set of his players. And there's a lot of other reasons why it's worked. But I, Chucky, I mean, he's got four assists per game. It's the best mark of his career. He's got the best assist to turnover ratio of his career because of how many things he can do out of it. But it just keeps the ball moving. And I thought it was interesting. One more thing I'll mention about this offensive style is when I was talking to Max Klesman about it, he said there were a lot of situations last year, and I think anybody knows, you get you get under 10 seconds on the shot clock. Well, let's go set a flat ball screen, and Chucky's going to go make a play. The offense was stagnant. And now because they're consistently doing these ball screens at all times of the clock, when that does happen, I think they don't feel as much pressure to make something happen. And it's given, and this is what Max said, he feels like their patience and their poise this year in late shot clock, but also the entirety of the shot clock, is a lot better. So, you know, that's part of the explanation for this offense. But I ended up going down a r- really big rabbit hole here after talking <laughs> to Greg about it. Like mm-hmm. I, I I started watching clips on YouTube of teams that run this and Golden State runs this to perfection. Obviously, they're, you know, won many NBA championships. But you can see so many examples where Draymond Green sets a screen on the wing for Steph Curry. And then the, the two defenders try to double Steph and he throws this ridiculous pass over his head to Draymond who's right in the middle of the lane wide open and he can either shoot it or dribble into the lane and throw an alley-oop dunk so it's it's very effective and it's clearly working for Wisconsin because they have the personnel and it's been fun to watch yeah and some of the numbers really stick out though too with compared to last year now it's it's not just the team it's the individuals because we had so many conversations last year about their inability to finish around the basket, didn't we? We had, I mean, it was the, the biggest question about Tyler Wall was like, where did that go? He dropped off into the 40s when he was in the 50s, you know, in 21, and he dropped off. But he's back up, right? He's back up in uh, above 50, you know, shooting two pointers. He only hasn't really, has really shot for three, though he did hit a three against Nebraska. But I also think Chucky being able to finish around the basket has been such a, a huge lift for them. He's, he's, he's shooting 13% better from, uh, from two this year. And a lot of it is his ability to finish. Like that was one of the, I think a, a big criticism of him last year was, yeah, he's going to try, but I don't know that he's necessarily going to be able to finish inside all the time. Well, he has this year, both of them. And it's really just been a, a team wide thing that all those close misses and all those bunnies that were continuously missed last year, they're not missing them this year. And I, I, that, I feel like that's maybe a little bit too simple, but th- those are the ones you're supposed to make all the time. And they were not making them all the time. And and for the most part, they are now. It's a good point you make, Zach. And it's something that Greg has talked about as well. The word that he used the most in the soft season is retention and how important it was to make sure that the guys who were part of your roster last season were back this year. And they knew that they had a chance to be pretty special. But the biggest key in Greg's mind was the guys who are coming back, they have to get better and show market improvement because this can't just be the AJ store show. Now he's leading the team in scoring 14.7 points per game, but that leaves a lot of shot opportunities and points for the other guys. And they've all gotten better in some way. You you can't discount how impactful Tyler Wall's ankle injury was because he just was never the same last season, didn't have the lift that he needed, but you're right. He's shooting 56% on two point attempts. Last season, he shot 43.8%. Stephen Crowell has increased his scoring and rebounding. He's playing more physically. As I mentioned before, he's made 12 of 18 threes. Not that I see that continuing, but look, we're this many games into the season. That's a pretty darn good sample size. But with Chucky, the I think him being able to lose 10 pounds during the offseason and become quicker with the ball has been one of the biggest factors. 
you see it in his play. And and Max Klesman just he's more confident because last year for him was a bit of a feeling out process since he spent his first two years at Wofford. He needed to prove to himself that he could play at this level. So those are four of your five key guys from last season. And we can talk about Connor Asijan as well. His role is yeah. clearly different now because AJ Store is there. But you had everybody get better. And one of the things that I thought was most interesting from my conversation with Sharif was he feels like AJ's ascension has allowed everybody else around him to fill in roles that are more comfortable for them. And I thought that was a great point because think about what they were asking the guys to do last season. Chucky's scoring has gone down this season, but he's so much more efficient and effective. He doesn't have to be the go-to guy. And the same thing with Tyler Wall. And that's something that Sharif specifically talked about. Tyler can pick and choose his spots now. He does not have to consistently be the number one guy. And I think because you have players that feel more comfortable in their roles, I'm not going to call them role players because these are guys that can average double figures in scoring for a season and some of them do. It just has made everybody better. And it's crazy to think about. And I know it's not just AJ Store, but getting a guy of that caliber who fits into the system the way he does has impacted everyone else around him in a way that has made this Wisconsin team as entertaining as any that we've seen in, in several years. Yeah, it's it's pretty remarkable what they've done offensively. And, I, and the other aspect of this whole thing is, and we talked about it last week, sustainability, right? Because it was, in, in some years, some years, they've gotten off to a hot start shooting from the outside and it powered the offense. That has not been the case this year. They're shooting 34%, 34.1% from three, which is almost exactly the same as last year. But they haven't counted on the three-pointer to uh, score points and to win games, if they are able to insert that into it like they did against Nebraska, they become extremely, extremely difficult and almost, I don't want to say impossible to stop because that's that's a little over the top, but they have a chance to be special if they somehow are able to to shoot, you know, 38, 39, four, right around that for the, the remainder of the season or whatever you do on, on a consistent basis. If you're there, this team becomes... Very, very difficult to stop. And you're also still getting a lot of really good defensive work on the other side. So it's it's a team overall that has a chance to do special things, which is exactly what they talked about this offseason, right? Uh, I believe Sharif Chambliss said, we know what they want and we know what they're capable of. And that's kind of been the message all the way back when they first got this thing going in, what, May and June. Yeah, it's true. Greg talked about this after the Marquette game, that they were trying to instill this belief and confidence in them in the offseason. And at a certain point, they realized as players that they had that belief and confidence. That Marquette game, I think, was a really big one for them. But so was going down to Fort Myers and beating Virginia and SMU. And they're really playing like one of the hottest teams in the country right now. They've won 10 of the last 11 games. Obviously, the 25-point blowout loss at Arizona was not their finest performance, but this is college basketball. How many teams do you see go and lay an egg that are against teams much worse than Arizona on the road? But Purdue lost to Northwestern, for crying out loud. But what, what makes this team, and this is part of what I wrote about as well, why I think this has a chance to be sustainable are, are a variety of reasons. Like you're saying, they don't rely heavily on the three-pointer. They've got a lot of guys capable of shooting at a better clip, but they lead the Big Ten in free throw shooting, 75.7%. Their offensive rebound has their offensive rebounding has gone up significantly. They're rebounding 34.7% of their missed shots. Last season it was 23.6%. So they're getting second chance opportunities. And on top of that, this is still a program where defense matters. And they're in the top 35 nationally in adjusted defensive efficiency. So it may not be 
quite at the level we've seen in years past, but they make up for that with their scoring ability. So I think that's part of why this feels sustainable. And the other thing, which we've talked about several times over the first couple of months, but the level of depth that they have, you cannot talk about this team without talking about that. I think back to the NCAA tournament game against Iowa State in Milwaukee two years ago when they had Johnny Davis. Well, if Johnny doesn't have a good game, you're in trouble. And then Chucky Hepburn got hurt late in the first half, and they they did not have any healthy point guards or active point guards left on the roster. And it was the death knell for this team. Even last year, Greg would basically play eight guys. And if somebody had an off day that was a, a, a heavy hitter for you, you were in big trouble. And now he's playing 10 players. And at practice on Friday, he would go through um, his top group. And at one point, he had 11 players over there. And that includes Marcus Silver. And that's part of the challenge that Greg is facing right now, which he said is a good problem to have. How do you get your main players enough minutes to make sure that they're in a rhythm? But how do you also get the guys who are on the outer edges of the rotation time so they can gain confidence? And it's an ongoing process. But I just think having 10 guys that you can count on and they're not all going to play the same minutes in a given game from from one game to another. And you're not relying on them all to score, but they can each bring their own piece of the pie here. That has contributed significantly to what makes this team special. And it's because you have returning players that improved. And it's also because you're getting AJ Storr, John Blackwell, and Nolan Winter in the mix as well. So I'm going to acknowledge that it's January 9th. We are still more than two months out from Selection Sunday. I'm also going to acknowledge that they were in this very similar position last year, as you noted in the article. And as we've talked about, off to a really good start 3 0 in Big Ten play. We know what happened. In the article, you say, they, this is the deepest and most efficient team in Guard's tenure. Mm-hmm. For you, is this Greg Guard's best team? Whoa. <laughs> um, it's, I, I'll let you think about it because there are there are a number of teams you could throw in there. Yeah. Whether it's you know whether it's his first year where they turn things around after a slow start. Yeah. Or I mean, both those teams made Sweet Sixteen runs. You could make an argument for the twenty twenty team that it didn't get to play in the tournament because yeah. of of the pandemic. You could also make the one a couple of years ago where they were number two seed. Again, a lot of time here to go. But do you think it could be his best team? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, it's part of the challenge here is you you and this is how it goes in college basketball and probably a lot of sports, but especially in college basketball, you judge the success of a team based on what they do in the NCAA tournament. So if Wisconsin ties for first earns a share of the big 10 regular season title, but doesn't make it out of the first weekend, you feel a sense of disappointment much like a couple years ago. Now that was a little different because that team was picked to finish, I think 10th in the big 10 and then ended up with an all American and Johnny Davis. But I think the balance that they have, is what makes this team potentially the best of his time here. And this is his ninth season. And I think it's worth noting, he hasn't had a team that got out of the first weekend of the NCAA tournament since his second season, 2016-17. So his first season and his second season, they made the Sweet 16. And since then, they had the team that was a rebuild that finished with a losing record, didn't make the tournament. They lost in the first round in 19. The team that probably had the best chance of making a deep run, unfortunately, didn't get that chance because the tournament was canceled amid the pandemic. And then the last two years, they've lost in the round of 32. Well, I guess two of the last three years. And then last year, they went to the NIT semifinals. So I bring all all that up to say, I think this does have the potential to be his best team. Some of that will be judged by what happens in March. But again, something Sharif mentioned, they talked to this team also about the fact that 
when you have most of your guys coming back off a team that at least made a deep run into the final four of the NIT, in a lot of situations, that team makes a significant jump the next season, and that's what they felt was possible, and that's what they talked about with this team. So I would say all the pieces are there, and everything they've done so far leads me to believe that this has the potential to be his best team here. It does have the potential, and we'll see if that ends up playing out the rest of the season here. Uh, the other, we mentioned it, Connor Asijin. Yeah, He did not get a ton of time for much of this year, and people have been talking about it. It's, it's obviously the question that always pops up when I ask for questions for, for Twitter or for, for threads and ask, you know, we're going to be doing a show, send me your questions. A lot of them had to do with Connor Asijin. Like, why isn't yeah. Connor Asijin playing? He should be playing over Max. Like, all, the, all that type of stuff. Well, on Saturday, he got his chance. He got in early, ended up playing 13 minutes. He hit his first shot, hit his first two, I believe, Three-pointers ended up with four for the game. It was the most in a game since last February when he, you know, it started to fall off towards the end of uh, of his freshman season. Is this going to be a trend, a mm. one-time thing? What do we make of what Connor Seijan did against Nebraska? Well, I'm sure the program hopes it's going to be well, yes. the start the, of a trend. Um, the program hopes he hits every <laughs> shot, Jesse. So, I, yeah. I mean, I, and I think fans do too. I, there's, but, but hope is hope is not a method, as I've been told. Yes, I've heard that before. Um, so I feel like based on where things stand right now, this is kind of the best of what is possible for Connor. Um, and it's probably going to depend in part on, look, if Connor is hot, it's kind of hard to get him off the floor if he's going to give you instant offense like that. But as we talked about with Jim Polzine in our previous show, Wisconsin is in a position where if he's on the floor, that means you're taking minutes from someone else who is adding to the team. And the three guys that you'd be taking the minutes from are AJ store, Max Klesman, John Blackwell. Now those guys didn't have to play a ton of minutes against Nebraska. Wisconsin had 51 points at halftime and just played such sound basketball that you could give more guys minutes. But Hard to take AJ off the floor when he's scoring the way that he does. Hard to take John Blackwell off the floor when not only is he averaging more than nine points per game, but he gives you so much defensively and and, and in terms of energy. And the same with Max Klesman. So if they can find a pocket here for Connor to get 10 to 15 minutes a game and he can make a couple of threes, I sort of feel like that's the spot that they're in right now. It's not realistic, I don't think, at this point to expect him to play consistently 25 minutes or to play the way in terms of minutes like last year when they absolutely needed him. And we know he's capable of scoring. He averaged double figures for a season last year as a true freshman. So it's a, it's a tough spot, but it does hit I me. Mean, Jim talked about this too, but his attitude has been very good. And I think that's gone a long way for him getting more opportunities. So I don't know that you can expect four made threes every game, but in terms of minutes that feels a little bit of of what could be possible going forward. 13? Somewhere in that range. I mean, 10 to 15. Again, you're you're taking minutes away from somebody else, but I think Wisconsin would look at it from, it's not necessarily taking away if Connor's playing as well as he's capable of playing because you're adding value and scoring punch off the bench. Now he's got to continue to play well defensively, and that's obviously part of why the minutes have been limited. The back injury early in the season didn't help either. Yeah. Can you remember a player that fans get more excited to see hit a shot than Connor Asijan? Hmm. Like there, there have been fa- there have been fan favorites, right? Like yeah. throughout the, throughout time, I went back trying to think of some guys that 
you know, when they get on the floor, whether it's whether they hit a shot or not, you know, it just feels like there's a different energy when they when they come on the floor. I don't I'd really have to think about this one, but a lot of it has to do. I mean, all of it has to do, frankly, with what he showed last season. So I think people look at it and say he has done this and proven it. And I know he really struggled the last 12 games or so last season. And but before that, it was so fun and entertaining to watch because he, here's this kid who you don't necessarily know what to expect as a true freshman, but was an incredible scorer in Indiana high school basketball, one of the best scorers in the history of that state, which is no small thing. And he's instant scoring and he's giving you threes. And it's like, if he gets space at all, it felt like it was going in. So I think that energy and enthusiasm that he created last season is what people have in their mind when they see him on the floor right now. And so it's understandable why they get that excited, but I've certainly seen in my mentions and comments and things like that, questions about Connor and people want to know what, why isn't he playing more and this isn't right. And it's kind of like, well, it may not be ideal for Connor because if you're a player, you want to be out there as many minutes as you can, but it speaks to what this Wisconsin team has right now. And for the team, it's a good situation. And if he can maintain a positive attitude and when he gets in there, continue to score the way that he's capable of, I mean, how dangerous is this group moving forward? I mean, it's, Incredibly dangerous, incredibly dangerous. If they are able to start hitting threes, and it's not like they shot it great last year. They're shooting shooting about what they did last year, but they have their their best shooters are not have not necessarily shot it. But you you got what what you get from Chucky there. They got three for five. Maybe that's trending in the right direction too. So maybe maybe eventually Max. You know, I think he hit one the other night. Maybe that starts to to go the the right way. And again, you're not going to see. Stephen Crowell shoot 60 plus percent from three <laughs> for, for the season, unless he continues to shoot at the uh, volume that he does. And John Blackwell is probably not going to shoot over 40% for the season, but getting those, some of those other guys, maybe if you can get season average up to 37, 38, this, this offense just becomes that much more dangerous. But again, I can't, it's hard for me to think of a guy that right now people so badly want to see out there that, you know, had a really, really tough, stretch i mean he went yeah it was like 25 20 25 games where he was shooting under 30 percent from three and yet every time he got in the game people are like expecting the ball to go down and so i that you're right it's a lot of it's based on what we saw last year and just the feel that first impression hasn't gone away and he's still young enough that people haven't turned against him um because there are there are probably a lot of guys throughout the year that if you know as freshmen as sophomores and then all of a sudden as they get to juniors and seniors that, that's kind of how fans are and, I, and the media is too like you get not tired of watching a guy but you kind of know who he is and you, and you see it all the time and it's like okay well, what's next but right now connor he is one of the one of the crowd's favorite players yeah and he's a guy that isn't necessarily playing a ton right now yeah I, i've certainly seen a whole heck of a lot of that on the football side, particularly at quarterback yeah. in the last 13 years or so that comes to mind. But I also think there's something to be said for people rooting for him to emerge from the struggles, because yeah. if you're a fan, it's been so well documented, you know, that he ta tapered off at the end of last season and you know that he came into this season and the minutes just disappeared. The injury, like I said, didn't help. But I go back to when I was talking to Greg and I think it was November and I had asked a question of, does it take a measure of selflessness for Connor to assume a new role? And yeah. in retrospect, it feels like it is a silly question, but he was basically <laughs> like, 
it wasn't like it's not selflessness. AJ Store came in and he was just better. And it was clear right from the outset that AJ was going to be a starter and play and all that stuff. And Connor had to continue to find his role. But again, I, I do think people are aware of the struggles that he's had and they know what his ceiling can be, at least based on what he showed early last year. So that's got to be part of it. And then the other thing you were talking about with Chucky, the 13 points is nice and that's going to matter. But I'm, to me, it's most impressive. He finishes with six assists and just one turnover. And we talked about the assist to turnover ratio earlier, but when he can give you that and he's also aggressive trying to get to the rim and feels confident with his, with his three, like they've got so many important pieces to this team that it's hard to say, well, this guy is the most important and, and you're ranking him, but Chucky's got to be right up there for everything that he does with this team. I know he didn't score the most. I know he didn't uh, have the most rebounds. I know he did have the most assists, but he was my player of the game the other day because I thought mm -hmm. both, you know, on, on both ends of the floor, it was a, a complete, uh, a largely complete game for him. So yes. that's the one I went with coming out of that game. A, a couple over under for you, season wide here for, mm -hmm. for Chucky. For Chucky, you, you mentioned averaging four assists per game, which is a career high right now. And I believe would just be the, I, I think Brandon Harrison, the, uh, uh, SID for the basketball team said that that would be just, I think, the seventh guy to do it since the 93-94 season. So not a ton of guys have averaged four assists, more than four assists per game, but uh, over or under four assists per game, the rest, you know, what he finishes with the this year. Well, I'm going to go slightly under, largely because some of those numbers can be inflated when you're playing some of the non-conference teams and in the Big Ten. And this is another point we should make. I mean, I talk about how they're averaging 75 five plus points per game. If that continues for the rest of Big Ten play and that's where they're at in March, holy yeah. hell. I mean, right. honestly, because we know what the Big Ten is like. I do think this Wisconsin team is capable of weathering those 60 to 55 grinded out games. But I would expect the offensive numbers to go down when you're playing Big Ten teams that are not only physical, but scout you better than anybody. You're going to play a lot of these teams twice in one year, and you see them every year on multiple occasions. So that's why I think it would go down slightly, but I don't think it'll be a, a market drop-off. And the other thing is I do think his assist-to-turnover ratio, which is something I always look at, um, it, it, there's no reason why that can't continue. So that's kind of my perspective on, on where things stand with Chucky, but he's to me, this is without a doubt the, the finest season of his Wisconsin career to date, even if he isn't scoring as many points as he did last season. Yeah, he's 17 assists through three Big Ten games. Uh, he had eight against Michigan State. He had three against Iowa, and then obviously had uh, six on Saturday. And in those Big Ten games, he's turned it over four times. So, he he yeah, he is certainly getting it done uh, on that end, and then the uh, the next over under was going to be uh, over under is is this determination now is three point three to one, yeah over over under uh, on that the rest well when he finishes that because that would be that would be I believe top five in school history yeah yeah I think it's going to be pretty darn close to that um, maybe I'll just because I don't want to hedge you know I like to hedge over the years <laughs> I'll 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 say slightly under again largely because of how well some Big Ten teams can defend. But the way he's taking care of the ball, I, I just can't discount the intelligence that he plays with and the ball handling talent that he has. And I do think this offense is so well suited for him because of the variety of ways he can attack it. Like even the scoring that he had, I mean, he split a double team and then yeah. it was probably my favorite play of that game. 
he looked off a guy, he got near the rim and looked at Crowell like he was going to pass, I think it was Crowell, looked like he was going to pass it to him, and the defender just was shaking out of his shoes and didn't know what he was doing, and then Chucky got to the rim and had a layup, so he can do so many different things, but from an assist-to-turnover standpoint, um, I mean, I, I certainly think at least 3-1 to one is is likely based on how he's performed, and that is so hard to do. He bit so hard on that. Yeah, <laughs> it was a great play. Bit, it was bit, fun to watch. Bit. Bit so hard on it, so hard on it. Um, all right, so Wisconsin three and zero in Big Ten play. They're the only unbeaten uh, team in conference play. They go to Ohio State on Wednesday night. The new bracketology from ESPN came out Tuesday morning. We are doing this Tuesday morning. Wisconsin is a three seed according to Joe Lenardi. Higher, lower, just about right. Come Selection Sunday. I think it's going to be in the three or four range based on what we've seen so far. It almost feels like at worst it's five because I think in a lot of these big 10, the big 10 is just, it doesn't have a lot of upper echelon teams. And I think Wisconsin is going to have a field day. (laughs) I really do think based on their playing, they've got a chance to rack up a bunch of wins. And if you do that in the big 10, even if there aren't a bunch of ranked teams, then you know, three, four feels pretty realistic for this group. Yeah. I don't know how many teams are going to get in uh, again. Yeah. There's, there's only three ranked teams right now in the AP top 25. It's Purdue at one Illinois at 10. They're coming off a loss at, at Purdue, but it was only a five point loss. And then obviously Wisconsin at number 15, there's no other ranked teams right now. That doesn't mean that there's not good teams in this conference. It's just right now, when you look at potential uh, tournament teams, it, this is not last year, right? Like this is not as and, and there weren't a ton of ton of high 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 teams in terms of like how good they were last year, but the the entire conference was was solid, and the you know anybody could beat anybody any night. Do you think that's still the case with this conference? I mean, we already saw Northwestern take down Purdue. Yeah, well, I think that's going to be the case every year in the Big Ten for years to come, and I'm. I want to get into the future yet because I feel like that's all we talk about with football. It's going to be you add four new teams to the league and they'll beat each beat each other up even more. But if you just look at where things stand right now, I think there are eight teams that have at least put themselves in a position based on how they played in the non-conference and early so far that can rack up enough wins to build a resume worthy of an NCAA tournament appearance. That doesn't mean they're all going to get there. I mean, Nebraska, despite basically getting housed by Wisconsin (laughs) is still 12 and three Ohio state's 12 and three same with Minnesota, Illinois and Northwestern are 11 and three Indiana's 11 and four. And then you've got the two teams that I think are the cream of the crop in the league right now where Wisconsin's 11 and three and Purdue's 14 and one. So that's eight teams right there that I think will have a shot. But I also think some of those wins in non-conference play come against lesser opponents. And when you get into the big 10, you finish eight and 10 or seven and 11, you're going to, you're going to have some trouble. So that I still think these teams can beat each other up. I still think that's going to happen because what year doesn't that happen? But it does feel like Wisconsin is in a very good position in this league moving forward this season. So last year's tournament had nine Big Ten teams in it. Lenardi has six right now. Yeah. Which which number is is closer to reality? I mean, are they getting do you probably think they, six? Yeah. I mean, uh, so I'm that, wondering. I haven't I haven't looked at it, and maybe you know don't know who's missing but is i assume nebraska's missing and is ohio is ohio state missing like does he have northwestern in there because the others i'm guessing 
are the ones that he has in. Ohio State is in. Okay. Nebraska, I believe, is one of the first out. Okay. Uh, first four out is Nebraska. Last four in, Northwestern's in the last four in. So the Big Ten teams are Purdue, Wisconsin, Illinois, Michigan State, Ohio <laughs> okay. Ohio, Ohio State, and Northwestern. I already said, did I say Northwestern? Yeah, um, that's okay. It's 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 irrelevant. Uh, yeah. He has he has six in, and Wisconsin obviously uh, a three seed according to uh, Lenardi at this point. Well, again, it's it's going to be it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Uh, I am. I wish it was March. I I know you don't want to wish away a basketball season, but I also love March. So yeah, um, <laughs> how can you not? Like, Especially I, if you happen to root for or cover a team that is actually participating in the most meaningful tournament. Yes. Yeah. The covering Wisconsin and uh, whoever it was that Stephen Crowell put up a whole bunch of points on in the, the first round of the NIT last year in front of about, it was actually a, a better crowd than I thought it was going to be. I think it was maybe six or 7,000, 8,000, whatever it was. I, I'd prefer to be in Memphis or Pittsburgh or <laughs> somewhere else covering an actual NCAA tournament game. But we'll see how uh, this all plays out for Wisconsin. Again, they will be in Columbus on Wednesday to face Ohio State. The Buckeyes coming off a loss on the road at Indiana. Uh, they also have a game this Saturday coming up against Northwestern. We'll be back probably early in the week before they go to Penn State to talk about these next two games, and uh, we'll see how it plays out. Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. All right, there he is, Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Swing.